Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Soccer America, the soccer paper of record. Go to SoccerAmerica.com and sign up for your subscription today. And by Nella from Fit Biomics. A Harvard doctor has found a probiotic strain that is found in most world-class athletes. Not all probiotics are the same. More information on all our sponsors at OverTheBall.com slash sponsors. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn and Chris Shamity's A lot to get to today. Uh, Chris, I want to talk about the U.S. men's national team, their disappointing run, these two games, uh, you know, which were preludes to the World Cup. Uh, we seem to have some momentum. We've, we've kind of lost it, but we'll, we'll get back to that a little bit. I also want to talk about this Yates report. Uh, our, our sponsors at Soccer America have a great article on it. They kind of break it down, but uh, some upsetting stuff in there that really kind of lands into your you know, place of expertise. So uh, I want to talk about that as well. But I also, I just want to get your thoughts before we get started, because look, um, whether we're athletes or watching athletes to watch the Miami quarterback uh, Tua there, I'm not sure exactly how you say his last name, but it's Tagtoglia. Um, horrible, Chris, absolutely horrible. And to to think that that man, after he got hit the first time, his head hit the turf really hard. That guy was a con- had a concussion. I am not a doctor. I have played one on TV at Sex and the City, but I am not a doctor. But he got up, started to stagger. He had a concussion. We know that. You know, I always hate when they say, "Oh, don't don't be a medic on the sidelines." When it's like, I can tell that was a hamstring injury, or I can tell that was a you know a, an ankle injury. I, I feel like you can at least say it. That was a concussion, dude. Uh, plain and simple. And if that wasn't bad enough, they put him back in the game that day. And then they didn't let him sit out the five days. And now, you know, Taylor Twelman has been on this show before talking about rapid concussion syndrome, which is when you have two in rapid succession, you are in serious trouble. And they, they've, they could possibly have ruined that man's career and more importantly, his life. Yeah. I mean, this is upsetting. And I think as soccer people, you know, we're, we're in the soccer world and, and, and as coaches, we get trained on concussions and, and what the protocol is, what the symptoms are, how to work with trainers and the medical people. And over the years, I've come to realize how very serious it is. And so when I saw the first hit, there's not even a question in my mind that he was concussed the first time. And right. then now to see the second hit in this, just only a few days later, because it was a short week, you didn't even get a seven day period. Um, you know, and he has a neurological response to that, the way his fingers kind of curled up in that just as a sport person, as a coach, as a parent, you just cringe. And I would encourage just everybody because even like parents who had little kids, seven-year-olds, you, you, you sign your kid up for AYSO, you probably have to check the box that you read the concussion protocol, read it. You know, we don't want people to get hit because you're right. When you're concussed, if you were to take a second concussion in that window of time, it could be fatal. Look, the athlete wants to go back out there. That's just the way it works. And certainly we know more than when we were playing. You know, I've probably had four, I think. Um, I've never lost complete consciousness, but I've had concussions. And we laughed about it later. It's a different era. You get your bell rung, which is sort of a funny term. Um, We know more now. And what I cannot believe is whoever cleared him, the medical staff, and then the coach, I mean, the problem is there's too much money involved. And when there's money involved, people are like, we don't want to lose a game. Well, we can't really lose a game. It's like, fuck you. Lose a game, man. Uh, that's the way it works. The guy's got a concussion. Put him out. He's a young man. And uh, for, for your profits and for your win-loss column, you, you put this man's life in danger and the rest of his life. 
you know, Taylor says he can't work out. He, he has headaches constantly. He can't, doesn't sleep as well as he did. Um, and like you said, the neurological damage that we saw on national television, it's just, it's just, it's just horrible. And if we don't hold the, the personnel to account, uh, who do we hold to, to account? The NFL, the coaches, the owners, who? Yeah. Well, there's got to be common sense involved as well, right? The common sense would be you just see the clip and you know that he got a concussion. So right out of the gate, put him into protocol. Now, in the old days, the doctors who would look at him were hired by the actual team. So there was internal pressure there. So the NFL adjusted and said, okay, we're going to have third-party pers- medical personnel there. And how that third-party person went through certain protocols and put him back onto the field is mind-boggling to me based on what we saw. I'm curious if that person actually saw the original hit and what the symptoms were in that moment, or did they just read him a list of questions on the sidelines? I don't know how this all happened. I know they've gone through an investigation and they already fired someone, but like, you're did right. They? This is the wrong, yeah, the, the this third-party person they fired. But the, the, the point is like, okay, where does the logic kick in? Like if I'm a coach, I know it's easier said than done on the outside. I don't care what my people say. I saw what happened. I'm not putting my guy right. back in. Yeah, what's it going to take a starting quarterback to die for us to get this right? Right, but the problem is with NFL, they don't show you the players uh, in their later lives. And I've met a lot of these guys at some of these golf benefits and things, and they're they're hurting bad neurologically, physically, and they don't show you them. The Tony Dorsets who who struggles just to put a sentence together now. I mean, the neurological damage that they've had. And look. Forever we pitted soccer against football. Football's the king. I get it. This a Sunday America shuts down for this game. But at what? So hold. It's like our politicians. Like let's hold these people responsible. We want to watch the game, but we don't want to watch uh, true gladiators lose their lives on the pitch or lose the quality of their lives because you won't don't you know you want to go for a wild card spot or something. It's just a. Uh, this is horrible, man. So, uh, yeah, and you it, ask yourself, where does it end? Because if you're the owner of the team and you're in the suite watching the game and you see that happen, don't you, don't you call down and say, get him out of the game. He was concussed. Right. I don't care what the little statement, the, what the little, what the doctors are saying there in real time. We all saw what we saw. There's no right. way we can approve him returning to that game. I, I don't yeah. understand how that didn't happen. So when the investigation goes forward, like, how far does this go between the coaches and the owners, et cetera, et cetera? And I'm not, I'm not saying that there's a plot to put these guys back out there. Of course, there's pressure, but at some point, logic has to apply. We all saw what right. we saw. We have yeah. to be able to do better. Yeah, as, as, as with everything, follow the money. But I would also say you didn't need to see an MRI to know that that man had some neurological uh, dysfunction happening there, um, and it just just beyond it. So anyway, our thoughts uh, go out to him, a young man. Um, a, a tremendous talent, but he deserves to live his life. My God. So, um, all right. So some other bad news. You were starting off with some really diff- difficult U uh, S men's national team run uh, this concussion protocol, which, you know, soccer has been leading because uh, you know, apparently, you know, uh, people fought it in other sports, but uh, soccer sort of leading the way. And I'm kind of proud of that as a soccer person. Uh, something I'm not proud of this is this Yates report thought of you right away. Um, you know, we've talked about the difference between coaching men and women. Um, then you said, no, it's just about professionalism and how you treat players. Um, so you must've been upset to read this, this report. There's a great article in soccer America, as I mentioned at the top of this show, basically about, it's like a 300 and something page report on all these things that, that they found. Um, and I always find the sexual harassment, um, sort of cut dry 
right? It's like, wow, no, you know, absolutely not. And, and that's the responsibility that you have around, um, you know, I guess it could happen, uh, men or women either way. But, um, what I thought where it gets a little uh, sketchy and where we're probably going to have a difference of opinion in, because we're sort of a different generation a little bit is the verbal and emotional abuse, which when I played, you know, in all the sports I played, that was a huge component in a coach's locker was basically to shout at you to, to, you know, tell you, you weren't anything, get sit down in the silence, run laps, do push-ups, whatever it was. Um, and that seems to be some of what was in here as well. Um, what are your thoughts there? Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's uh, an evolution of the coach's role and, and the modern stage is one where things are more on the positive side. You can be pointed, you can hold people accountable, you can um, have a challenging environment, one with standards, but it can't dip into situations where you get personal with people, you know, where you manipulate their emotions or you're holding things over their head, you know, and that can become abusive, especially over time. And then if it wanders into the category, which it can and has done in the NWSL, where there's sexual uh, harassment implications that are tied to that abuse, then it becomes one even bigger cloud. And it's all very, very unfortunate. But to go back to your first point, I don't coach from that perspective. And I don't know many coaches nowadays who do. Uh, I don't think so that, so that you're saying that's outdated, the sort of yell at your, yeah, the players. yell at your players kind of thing. Um, you know, every now and then you raise your voice just to, to get a different intonation in your voice. So they, they, they maybe hear your voice a little bit differently, but you don't make it personal and there's no, it's never anger and shouting and all those kinds of things. Cause it need not be that you just talk Would directly you, to them in a professional way. Would you say that is with men as well? The men's coaches that you've, that you've watched. Yeah, I would say that the modern coach, if you've worked on your evolution, you're coaching <laughs> in, that, in that path that I'm talking right. about. If you're coming from an older school, quote unquote, where that was a little bit more common, that's just not going to fly nowadays. The modern family, the modern parent, the modern kid uh, is not the modern teacher in school is not teaching that way. And so we're just not getting positive responses from kids with that tool. So coaches have kind of dropped that tool and no longer use it. It just feels like professional sports is sort of judged on a different set of criteria than, than sort of college, certainly, or high school or youth. Um, it seems like a lot goes out the window when you're a professional athlete. Uh, this is your job. And I guess as a player, you have certain powers. As a coach, you have certain powers. And uh, certainly, you know, you're alluding to the fact that they've changed around here. But, you know, the Yates report, Sally Yates came out and basically said that the NWSL has the ability to um, have action, take action against the owners, the GMs, the coaches. Um, and I think there's going to be a lot of pushback when it's a, if it's, I mean, what's a GM or, I mean, what's an owner? An owner, uh, I guess one, one GM, because look, I, I guess I don't, I don't have a point here. I guess Cindy Parlow is the head of U.S. soccer now. She was a coach. She was named in the suit as basically a, a person who testified against some people saying this guy, Mike Golub, uh, said to her, you know, hey, what's on your bucket list as a coach besides sleeping with me? Um, that's like that's just inappropriate. Right. Um, is it is it something that's a misconstrued joke that's misplaced and someone lose their job over someone like something like that? Um, and then you have the 
the person who led the NWSL was a woman as well. Um, and no action was taken, which in a sense surprised me. Does that surprise you? That yeah. When it, women it, are in charge. They're not, not really. It, you know, take- well, no matter who's in charge, it shocks me that, that players were saying things and players were sending out signs uh, that there's an issue here and administration executives league u.s soccer in in different ways didn't ring the bell in time and step in um and these behaviors were allowed to continue for quite a while when we should be in a no zero tolerance zone Uh, there was a lot of tolerance for this apparently and it's it's very unfortunate for the players uh who had to endure this uh it's it's a it's a trauma and, and, and that's really difficult for them moving forward with their lives. Uh, and to think this is happening in a sports arena, uh, there's just no place for it. Uh, at the end of the day, sports, uh, it, it's a game and you want it to be fun. That's when you play best is when you enjoy it. Uh, you can play with some bite and some anger, but you have to have a passion for what you do and some fun with it. And if you create an environment that's you know counterintuitive to that, like what are you doing as a coach? You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't understand how this was uh, allowed to happen nor think that it was productive to happen if you're a coach. Like, how is that a good choice besides it being completely selfish and ignorant? Yeah, you know, Chris, because there's so many components that go into this. Like when a player gets cut or a player gets picked, you wonder who gets picked and why and where. And this stuff sort of convolutes, gets convoluted where, you know, I, I know when I played in, um, in the indoor league, in the NPSL for Kalamazoo, the head coach was a boarding and Christian. And I felt like a bunch of the players were on the squad because they were born again Christians. And so there's favoritism, there's all that stuff happening. Um, and this, you know, when someone is accused of something like this, oh my God, it's just, it's just horrible, but it's, uh, it's gotta be proved and people have to have their day in court. And at least it seems like now, don't just pass the buck up. Don't just say, yeah, well, that's his coaching style. That's the way it works. Um, I also think that they have to, everyone has to look out for each other because if certain things are happening to the players, they have to go in as a group or the captain has to go in for these things. Um, it seems like the guy Riley was, was sexually harassing a woman and the other women didn't know about it. No. Yeah. But I think, you know, as any league does, you have, you have standards, procedures, protocol for how to host a game to how to run training centers. Mm-hmm. Um, there should be protocols for team, you know, uh, meetings and team behavior and things like that. Like in, in what world is a player going to a coach's hotel room to have a meeting like that? Those are easy things to cross off the list as saying, Hey, that this is not a space for those kinds of communications. You know, if a coach wants to talk to a player, it needs to be in, in a team space and not in a private space. So like we need to generally speaking, professionalize what the standards are. I right. thought this stuff was common sense, but it's obviously not. And so now we've got to step in as a league, as a federation and say, here's how the operations have to generally work. And within that, make sure it's a safe space. You also have to see an old coach, an old male hitting on young women. It's it's just sort of, you know, terrible on about 20 levels. The other part, though, is that, what is it, 65% of people that meet their spouse at work. Um, you know, you have some U.S. men's national team, women's national team players who have married their college coach. Um, it happens. Um, and it doesn't happen just blindly. Everybody kind of knows what's going on when it's happening. So... 
um, there's I, I can't say there's two sides to it because this is this is terrible. And I, I feel bad for NWSL because there's no good news coming out of there. You know, as far as um, I wish the numbers were, were, were bigger as far as ticket sales. Um, and a lot of the players are going overseas now and we want this league to work because, uh, you know, and so I think what you're saying is, you, you know, you have to build it from the ground up. Uh, I don't know if maybe it was an old mindset where they let these things go, but it's just, it's just not good news. And now it's all been exposed. It seems like in the soccer world, there just hasn't been any good news coming out of it lately. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the only positive that we could possibly come up with is that we'll come out of it with better standards that, that makes it a safer place for the players and for the coaches as well to, to both exist in a professional way. But this is no different than any industry. Um, right. You know, you have to be professional within your industry. And we see it, you know, the Boston Celtics, their, their coach has been suspended for a year for, you know, going against certain policies that they had in place. And, you know, NWSL has to now sharpen what those policies are for their coaches and their players. Now, you know, that's one, that's an interesting example, because I think I have this right. The coach who was married, right, was having an affair with someone who worked within the, the, the company, right? She was, she was single of age, right? It wasn't like, because I always think like that. If I did something like that, I wouldn't fear my job. Uh, I would fear my girlfriend or my wife in, in that point if it's two people you know and that's where like that happens all the time at work all kinds of industries right in the television network industry and you know professors are having an affairs with each other on a college campus just you know is it is it a double standard to say well you know well if you're with ibm it's fine but if you were the boston celtics it's not fine you can't have an affair with your wife i mean 78 percent of goldman sachs partners get divorced and, and, you know, half of them, it's with their uh, administrative assistants. They have an affair. So, like, do they lose their job? No. Well, I think there's two things going on. One is, I'm sure when he signed his contract, you know, there's clauses in the contract and their policy is clear. Hey, they wrote, they put it in writing. We don't want you to have a relationship that's intimate with anyone in the workspace here. And that's right. something he signed off on and he broke that policy. What gets funky is, you know, he didn't do something that is, uh, he, it's not a crime. He didn't break a right. law. He didn't do something that, you know, hurt another individual, quote unquote, you know what I'm saying? So really the, it's not a law that he broke, but it's a policy from internal policy that he broke. And so Boston stepped in and said, here's a consequence for breaking that policy. He signed the contract. And if that's in the policy, then, you know, that's why he hasn't pushed back on this at all. He said, I oh, of course. We, we, yeah. You don't have a yeah. like to stand on. It's basically, but yeah. it's, I'm saying at the end of the day, it's an affair, a consensual affair between two adults. So um, it's just unfortunate. I think when you're in a, a position of seniority that, you know, that's where it gets fun. Right. Like, the, right. You know, There's a power your authority. Right. Exactly. There's a power dynamic involved that can be spoken or unspoken that puts one person potentially, you know, in a compromised position. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's not a healthy relationship. So that's where okay. you're protecting people. Well, let's go to less, a little happier news, but not much. The U S uh, national team, kind of a really disappointing two game affair there. Um, I was hoping we'd see something different at, uh, with Saudi Arabia, but just um, I, it seemed like the players were all in their head. Uh, you know, not not sure if they were on the the, the field on the team, uh, if they made the squad. A lot of guys are dealing with their domestic leagues, um, so it just was. Um, you know, Japan technically looked much better than the United States. Um, we talked a little bit about that game. And then with Saudi Arabia, again, uh, not finishing chances. And you basically, 
you know, Saudi Arabia sort of parked the bus, but I still wasn't impressed. Yeah, I mean, you got to remember this is that for an entire coaching staff and for the entire player player pool, they're all going through this for the first time. No, none of the coaches have experience at this. None of the players have experience at this. This is the last camp before a World Cup. None of mm-hmm. them have gone through this before. So there's no experience and it didn't go very well. You would have wanted better performances. I understand against Saudi Arabia, A, the field didn't look great. It's not necessarily, the, you know, you're not exactly playing Italy. You're playing Saudi Arabia. And there's no atmosphere in the stadium, right? And so you have all these things working against you, but that's exactly the things that the coach would be working against and saying, no matter what's going on on the outside in terms of the variables of this, this is an important exercise to get through and let's do it in a real way. And I can't say that the players passed that test. Now I'm not there to know why. You know, I think Matt Turner. I think Matt Turner did. Uh, he played well. I think he's the starting keeper. I can't stand when the. I don't even think it's a contest right now at this point. If I mean he's not between the pipes in the starting. I mean there's something. Yeah going on did, in fact he did well for himself it's, it's the it's the position where you know you, you you can't hide you have to you have to fly around and, and make plays when you're in the in the on the field and you know you you, you question how sharp and motivated some of the players were and that that's right. what gets disappointing because we had a lot of our first team players are out there and we laid two eggs and so that's not really a good situation yeah two big eggs and uh you know well I, but so yeah like i said turner looked good i think um ethan horvath is actually you know he played a full 90 this past week a 2-1 win over hull city uh zach stefan did play as well at middlesbrough uh he played a 90 they lost uh, against coventry city so i think the goalkeeper situation is fine um a lot of other players on the cusp um you know what what did you think in the back, that's where uh, that's where I'm most concerned. Yeah, I like Zimmerman, you know. Yeah, I think Zimmerman's in. You don't know who his partner is. They're trying to get Aaron Long to be the partner. That hasn't gone great. Um, they may not. No, have he's disappointed. He yeah, disappointed. I mean, there may not be another choice though. You know, and then you have Destin Yedlin, who are going to play unless Anthony Robinson can make it back, and then he'll go to the left, and Dest will most likely go to the right. And if they can't get him back, they'll push Dest to the left and keep Yedlin on the right. So you have all that. Obviously, sink or swim, you're going with um, Adams and you're going with McKenney and probably Musa. And then you're going to go with Pulisic. You're going to go with Reyna, in my opinion, if he can be healthy. And then the big you know, if too, we, yeah. we get to that final stage, which is, you know, who's that 11th player? Who's that other forward? Yeah, I think the it's the forwards uh, where uh, there's, some, you know, look, f- a problem in the midfield because we missed Weah on the outside with some speed. We missed Musa, his ability to hold the ball in the midfield, release some pressure, break the lines. Um, you know, Gia Reyna is magic when he plays, but, it, you know, We've seen this, these, these guys that are sort of uh, susceptible to soft tissue injuries. Um, we've played with guys like that. Um, he is only 19 years old, still sort of developing. You know, that's where your body's a little, still a little bit dorky. You know, where you're sort of you know, filling in a little bit. And um, he is thin, kind of Polisic's the same way. Polisic struggled with some injuries. So, uh, I, you know, when everybody's healthy and playing, I feel like we have the 11 that we, or the 12 or 13 that we need. But um but people aren't healthy. Yeah. I mean, the, the majority of them are healthy. And so now it's like, okay. And this is why I, I don't know if we should give such an easy pass, you know, to this group. I don't think they did a good job with these two playing opportunities. Do I think it's going to lead to a bad world cup? Not necessarily. You know, there's a lot of weeks that are going to pass. They're going to re-motivate, refocus. They're going to get them. They're going to learn hopefully from this and then come out, obviously motivated for the world cup would be my guess. Um, but they're all, like I said, going through this for the first time. We didn't qualify for the last World Cup. Yeah. We have a new coach, so, a new pot of players. 
And it's just a weird year. It's going to be in November starting soon. So it's just uh, all of our circadian rhythms are off. So, hey, let's wow. let's talk about the um, the Manchester Derby. Did you watch that one? Yeah, yeah. I mean, 4-0 at half and 6-1 in like the 80th minute or whatnot. It's uh, the 6-3 yeah. becomes flattering. Um, you know, they got a field goal at the end. But the, the main point was that this is a blowout, you know, yeah. and, and Man City looks like a machine. You know, having Halan there, the way he's there, um, I, I, you know, I've been, I've been kind of laughing recently because I, you know, you and I have talked about how people have said he's needed time, and I said he's going to need no time. Yeah. He's going to plug straight in and crush it, and that's what he's been doing. And I don't see an end in sight. You can really muster up the energy to make his life hard, but they have so many other weapons that can come outside in off the edges that I don't know how you stop this group. Yeah, that's that's you know part of what I said. Look, Chris, we've both played on teams where you're the dominant force. We have all the players, and it's easier to play. Uh, you know, and then when you're the underdog and you're just you know the 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 best player on a bad team or just a bad team, and it's it's tough. It doesn't matter if you're a good player on a bad team. It's you can't make up a lot. And I said they have an abundance of riches. Pep has there, and it's just so bizarre that you have a De Bruyne uh, and you know Foden who would be a huge star on any other team in the in the league because this guy's developing really well. In fact, De Bruyne has some really great comments about him saying he's, you know, he's going to be huge, be a huge yeah. player. Oh, I, I think he's saying there. That. Yeah, he's one of the best yeah. in the world already. I mean, he's uh, it's amazing what his productivity is, his mobility, his skill, the number of games he has under his belt at this young age. It's phenomenal. Yeah, and just to, to think what he's surrounded by as well. Um, you know, I, I was... I would say like I, when I scrimmaged with the Cosmos, oh my God, all I was just going to do was play simple and play the way I faced. And when I went to a ball, I had three options. Everybody showed, timed it right. I mean, they were amazing. It's like they made me look better. Um, and I couldn't imagine playing on a team like that where just everybody is you know, firing on all cylinders and Pep's got him playing the way he wants to play him. And, and now Holland comes in and it's like, everybody's already got the system and he just is one guy trying to go, Oh, I get it. Yeah. This is, this is where it is. And I mean, if he makes one or more of those diving goals, you know, off a De Bruyne cross, it's unbelievable. They just, they're yeah. already sinking up. Nobody's going to beat him. It's uh, it's ridiculous. No, it's, it's the close. The, the, the only thing I've ever seen that's like the, the soccer version of having Shaq on your team, you know, if he's yeah. under the, under the post, you just got to lob it up there. He's going to get it. You know what I mean? And that's what it's yeah. like. They have this huge presence. And I've been watching them carefully over the last couple of years, and they've had the opposite. They've had undersized players in those positions. So the right. final ball had to be so incredibly accurate. And now they're still playing, of course, with precision, but they have a bigger net to hit it into, uh, and, and then he'll get on yeah. the end of it in a lot easier way. Well, he stretches defenses, Holland, and you know you had like the David Silva. These guys during that time they would they would dribble it into the net basically. So yeah, uh, yeah. so good thing. So I thought of you uh, watching the Arsenal Spurs uh, game because I know you're a Conte fan, um, but uh, Arsenal's the real deal. And uh, and yeah. uh, again, Conte has a problem with another coach. It's it's getting to be could yep. be you, dude. Could be you. Well, yeah, I'm a big Conte fan, but last year he he had a go at Arteta. You know, in one of the press conferences where yeah. you know, he, he told him to just stop complaining and focus on your team. And he complimented him and said he's a good coach, although it was a bit backhanded and because he came right back out and said, yeah, but he should focus on his team and stop complaining. And so I'm sure Arteta enjoyed his glass of wine that night after that result because uh, Conte was probably 
pissed that, you know, he, he said all those things and didn't get a result on the given day. Um, but Arsenal's right up there right now, you know, uh, just ahead of, of City. The question is, can they maintain it? Liverpool is not the same this year, so it becomes wow. a City-Arsenal race right now. And I don't know if Tottenham can get into the top two uh, by the end, but, you know, they're very, very committed to being in the top four, which I think they will be. Well, they're inconsistent right now, though, a tremendous amount of potential. And God knows what's going on with them. I mean, with Son to sit and then come back with a hat trick. And then, you know, so the locker room's obviously a little wacky right now. Um, people sort of jockeying for positions and things. But I'm impressed with Arteta. And I'm also even more impressed with the fact that that he was given a chance to build his side. He really was, which in the modern game, you're not always given uh, the, the changes that, you know, a coach – 10 games, 12 games in, boom, gone, first year. You know, we talked about Jesse Marsh, his first year, having the people he's put together in a preseason camp and the difference, uh, you know, it would make. So um, so good good things for Arteta. He's, he's, he's put it together. And speaking of Jesse Marsh and Leeds, I worked last week uh, with an Irish comic named Ardalo O'Hanlon. Uh, great guy, very funny. I had met him years ago at the Irish Comedy Festival in New York City. And he was the star of a show called Father Ted on the BBC for a long time. And, uh, and then another show called Murder in Paradise on the BBC. Huge Leeds fan. Huge Leeds fans. Always been one. And he is a huge Jesse Marsh fan. And he goes, oh, I love watching these American players. He goes, they're so young and fit. They're skilled. They read the game well. He goes, it's, uh, it's, it's wonderful. So it's, uh, it's good to see. I mean, this could become America's team if they, if they, even if they get to the middle of the table. It's interesting to see how Leeds is, is affecting their opponents because, you know, after the game, Jesse's out there talking about and complaining about Aston Villa and, and how much they slowed the game down throw-ins and how much time they took. And they took any and every opportunity to just get the pace of the game down because they all know how fast Leeds wants to play and it doesn't right. suit them to do the same. And so, you know, all the, the art, uh, the art form of wasting time, how that's now showing up wow. in early in games just to get a breath because they know they can't run with the Leeds players. That's the worst because that's the type of soccer we don't want to watch, you know. And that was Jesse's point, right? And you know, he's challenging the referees to say, "Look, we're going to play this way. It's your job to make sure the game flows." And obviously, Villa has the right to do what they want, but they can't go so far with it, right? I remember always watching college football. Everybody complained about why guys fall down in soccer, and I said, "Well, endurance." is part of the whole thing. So at the end of a game, uh, you try to get the guy off, even if it's on a stretcher, because you want to keep playing. You want to get back to playing. I said, it's not like football where you have a, a you can take a couple of downs off, uh, miss a set of downs, get your win back, come back out. And then when um, Oregon had that hurry up offense there, all the all the linemen, linebackers were all pulling up on a hamstring, you know, fake one, and they're falling down. And so it was the same thing. Right. Um, you know, and if that's, you know, we talked about Jesse and having guys who were that fit playing at that rate of speed. Was it going to be able to last during the course of the year? Um, and that remains to be seen. But this is uh, this is a new tactic. So obviously, coaching wise, he'll have to combat it in a way. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's always adjustments. Right. So there's always little rules that get developed. So like if you fake that injury in the NFL, now you get your team gets charged timeout. So the rules evolve with the tactics, you know, and so maybe that needs to be you know, at least reminded, uh, and that's what Jesse was doing, was reminding the referees to keep the flow going. Well, it's just hard to, to say you don't know when a player is injured or not. Even if you see it in slow motion, sometimes you're like, wow, yeah, he got nicked. I didn't think he did, and and he did. And so it's even harder when you're on the field without replays and everything else to say, you know, because, look, we talked about Tua at the top, like who, who's hurt and and who's actually not. Um, 
you know, I remember soccer, a lot of times those, those headbutts and stuff that would happen on the pitch. Um, there's no, there's no replay there. Uh, you know, uh, there's no way to sort of prove that someone's hurt. Um, so I, I guess in an abundance of caution, uh, I've seen it in hockey too. guys go down, you know, fake, fake fouls and, and go down. So, uh, well, this I is, know. I think, one of the issues with the concussions we were talking about earlier. It's yeah. like you're, t- you're getting into a world where now where we're trying to learn more about concussions and potentially offer a coach in soccer the chance to have a free substitution or an additional substitution if his player needs to get or her player needs to get checked Protocol. for a possible concussion. And then, but then now you have to, ha- like, how do you police that? Because what if right. they're faking that concussion in order to get a sixth substitution in it? It becomes, you know, a you game chase your tail a little bit for what's decent. Yeah, and then they'll make a different rule about that as well. So, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it, it's if you do if you do make the rule, it'll have to change because someone will figure out a way to break it. Yeah, you know this yeah. uh, this guy Ardell uh, O'Hanlon told me a really funny story when he was on Father Ted. He played a young priest. Um, they were on a remote island with a, an older priest who was a big drinker, and he basically said he played a simpleton, like he was like a naivete uh, kind of guy. And he says, the problem is people think he's that way. So he says, he always has to overcompensate for the fact that, you know, no, I'm not slow and, and dumb and simple. Yeah. And he said he, he flew to the airport, or he flew into the airport in Dublin and got in a cab and he was driving and the cab driver goes, oh, the guy from Father Ted, oh, Joe, Arlo, how are you? Oh, this is great. He goes, oh, I miss Father Ted. And he looks at him in the rearview mirror and goes, do, do, do you remember? Do you remember doing Father Ted? Yeah. <laughs> He goes, yes, I, I remember doing Father Ted. He goes, oh, my God, the guy thinks I'm, I don't even remember shooting seven years of a series. You know, and then he goes, he goes, I'm halfway home in the cab, in the back of the cab, trying to combat my uh, the guy thinking I'm, I'm slow. And I, he goes, I realized I drove my car to the airport and I left it. I left it in the air in the garage. Ah. So he goes, what do I do? Do I tell the guy, oh, you know what? I forgot. He goes, I don't want him to think I am dumb. Yeah. He goes, I just he goes, I had him drop me off at home. Wait until he drove away. And then he goes, I got another cab. <laughs> 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 uh, and, I thought he, and then he also said, you know, uh, the whole thing was saying, sorry. He said he got robbed. He got robbed on the top of a, a bus in London. And a guy comes up and sits right next to him. And he was the only guy up on the top of the bus. And the guy comes over and he goes, he goes, I have a terrible habit of always saying sorry all the time. Mm-hmm. And he goes, guy goes, uh, pulls out a knife and goes, you know, give me your money. And he's like, oh, God. So he reaches in his pocket and he goes, I'm sorry. All I have is a fiver. And the guy goes, oh, I- I'm sorry. I'm sorry I have to do this to you. I-, I have a really bad drug problem. And he goes, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so nice. That's such a nice person. And then he said, you know what? The, the English say sorry a lot, too. And he goes, the average English person says sorry in their lifetime two million times. And he goes, he would, as an Irishman, he'd consider that a good start <laughs> which i love so uh anyway it was fun so um i guess you went to the uh the lafc they won the supporter shield you went to the game what kind yeah, of in, was in that? portland uh yeah. we were up there and um got a, a chance to what a great environment you know I've been, I've been up in the pacific northwest twice uh in the last few months i got to see a seattle game a few months back amazing environment yeah they do it right environment obviously a huge game the penultimate game and uh if lafc wins they get the shield if 
Timbers win, they clinch playoffs. And so a lot on the line. And, you know, those are always the most fun games in the atmosphere. Yeah. It was a beautiful day in Portland. Place was packed. The fans were awesome. The LAFC fans were there chanting and everything. It, it was just, if you're a soccer person in America, it, it was a, a fantastic day. That's that's great. And uh, what they, they had, well, are they out of the playoffs, Portland? I know five sponsors are still I left think over. They still have a chance. I don't think that eliminated them. I think they still have a chance, but LAFC just won Supporter Shield for the second time in four years. Um, right. Which and I think only the original team. teams have done that. So good yeah. for them. Yeah, I saw something Absolutely. interesting as we're moving towards the World Cup here. Just quickly before we leave here, I, I thought, you know, I feel bad for the players in this situation. Um, some Iranian fans are hoping that their team will be humiliated by the USA and England uh, at the World Cup after the players failed to condemn a violent crackdown that has left more than 70 people dead. Uh, this is a tough one because I always say, you know, the athletes are the athletes and these guys, they've, they've trained their whole life to be in the world cup. Their government does something, you know, uh, this 22 year old woman dies in custody, which is horrible. Now there's riots and rightly so in this, uh, this uh, regime, but I just feel bad for the players. You know, they just want to play. And I remember when, uh, I was in France for the 98 World Cup watching the Iranians play. It was like a love fest between the American fans and the Iranian fans. And they said, you know, our war is with in our countries. Are, are, and, and most of the Iranians were not behind what their country did. But it was a love fest. And I, that's what I love about the game of soccer. And so here's the World Cup. And I, I always love the fact that it's like, all right, our government may do this. Your government may do that. But, hey, man, we're players. And we're just doing our best to try and win. Um, so I, I don't, yeah, it's, I don't feel good about them dragging the players into it, but I understand why, spot. you know? Yeah, it's a tricky spot for everybody because you see this in tennis too because you have like tennis players are not certain, the Russian players are not allowed to play in certain tournaments or they are allowed, but they can't play under the Russian flag. So, you, you know, you, you're drawing these lines and you're trying to figure out where accountability falls. And now with, with Iran or these Iranian players, they have a microphone in front of them to speak about what's happening in their country but are they in a compromised position? You know, it's, uh, you right. know, they, they go to the World Cup and do very well. That's their payday, not only from being paid from their own federation, but that means they're going to get their next contract and perhaps a better contract. Right. But then there's pressure on them to use the platform. And so, you know, you, you, get, you, you don't know what to do. Um, and I think that's a very difficult situation for them. I think one of their former players has been arrested. And yeah. so now how they handle that collectively, I'm not so sure. And I'm curious what kind of support they get from their federation and or FIFA. Well, I think they got bigger fish to fry right now that the country itself. So, you know, who knows? This could be uh, way down on the list of, of uh, what they're worried about at this point. Um, Gio, Reina out for seven to 10 days. Um, bummer. We'll keep an eye on him for you here on OTB. Pulisic, nice assist on a collar. Uh, Connor Gallagher goal helped Chelsea win. Boy, I tell you something. Pulisic, how many times have we seen him come from the left, cut to the right, come across the top of the box and, and dish or get a goal? Um, so I think, uh, you know, in the Premier League, that's where he really does his damage. I'm just surprised he, he gets put in the 70th minute every week. It's, uh, it's kind of a bummer. But he's getting some time, which is... Uh, which is good. So, um, and Ricardo Pepe put one in the back of the net. So there's some good news out there, folks. Hopefully this all gels and, uh, and we're, we're talking a much different tune when we get to, uh, to November. All right. Anything else? What do you got this week with the team? Yeah, we're, uh, we got a game to Wednesday night. Yeah. Wednesday night, big one against Santa Clara, Santa Clara lost in the final four last year. And the year before that they were 
uh, national champions. So it's a home big, or away. Big big challenge. Uh, we have them here at home. Ah, maybe I get to this game Wednesday yeah. night, huh? Wednesday All right, night, seven o'clock. Well, good luck. What's the record so far? We dropped the game in Portland. Portland was uh, ranked 18th in the country. Uh, we went up there. We lost one nothing. Um, yeah, player scored a great goal and, and and we couldn't tie it. So how the game got works some time in the great city of Portland, got to see the LAFC game the next day uh, and came back and we're hitting classes and back the whole team, today. the whole team got to see the game. No, we, we had a flight at the back end, so we couldn't get everyone out, but we get went with our coaching staff, went for a bit and left uh, to make sure that we got to the flight on time. Well, good stuff. All right. Well, I'm going to try to catch that game Wednesday night and we'll have something okay. to talk about. I'll uh, break down your, your, your strategies on, on OTV here. Let's do it. Let's and then you go to my talk. Then you go to my stand up show and uh, you give me some feedback on that. So, oh, Kevin, that, yeah, I didn't think that joke worked. And um, so let's do it. Two together. shows right there. All right, brother. All right, everybody. That's all the time we have on OTB uh, for Chris Shamity's. I'm Kevin Flynn, and we'll talk to you next time. Call or text us at 424-229-2247. That's 424-229-2247. 